where uh, again this coming Thursday, Friday and Saturday evenings, uh, 7 p.m., Awake Little Lily, It's Almost Christmas, uh, original production that is going to be put on here with uh, folks in the fellowship and all. I've got a chance to get a glimpse at that a week or so ago. It'll be fabulous. Uh, children and adults, everyone, all age groups in the room. And so uh, come on out, invite friends out. There's flyers available out on the information counter uh, in the fellowship hall for uh, things, invitations that you can pick up and then give to people that have all of the uh, pertinent information. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to all of the congregation of the children of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, and that next word is very important, for or because I, the Lord your God, am holy. Now, in chapter 19, <clears throat> excuse me, the Lord continues this theme of holiness, which is the theme of the book of, of Leviticus. And when we get into chapter 19, maybe some of you read a little bit ahead of time here uh, this afternoon to see what we'd be getting into. I mean, when you read all the different things that the Lord addresses, uh, it almost looks like it's a, a kind of a haphazard collection of a bunch of thoughts that came to somebody's, you know, mind and, and commandments that he, that he gives here, having to do with everything from respect for parents to cursing the deaf or to the treatment of, of strangers. But there's a, there's a method behind the madness. There isn't really madness there at all. But there's a design behind what the Lord is, is doing here in all of this. And uh, the, whole, all, the whole variety of subjects that he deals with in chapter 19, that's the whole point of the chapter, that God is, in God's holiness is not only to govern our relationship with God, our sacrifices that we offer to God, uh, so to speak, as we've looked in the book of Levitic, Leviticus, it's not only to dominate our, our sexual expression and sexuality as, as God's people, but it is to govern every part of our lives, even the areas of our life that we think are so daily or they're so common or they're so um, insignificant and yet, and yet they're not insignificant because they're another place for God's holiness to be demonstrated through our lives into this world. So in verse 2 we're given the reason why we are to have a concern uh, for holiness, why we are to be uh, a holy people. And no one, I don't care you can beat people to death to try and get them to be holy or get me to be holy and people are not going to become holy unless number one they understand what in the world it is and number two you give them a good reason for being holy and holiness is essentially Christ-likeness and uh, here God gives us uh, a very high and lofty noble reason for being holy people why are we to be holy in this world our God is holy and if he is holy, I cannot represent him in this world, before the world, without being holy also. So that's our motivation. We desire to be holy. We want to be holy. Uh, give ourselves a living a holy life because our God is holy and we want the world to understand uh, that he is as they would look at our, our lives. And so they were to be holy because that's what he's like. 
And that's the motivation that God provides us with. Peter, you say, what well, is that an application in the New Testament? Peter, in, in his epistles, uh, quotes the same passage and declares that as Christians we're to be holy because our God is holy. In the New Testament, we have a more finished and complete definition of holiness because we're able to, to look at Jesus as our definition for holiness. He is the fulfillment of the law and, and of, of the prophets. It is interesting that that phrase that he uses there, uh, I am the Lord your God, it is repeated uh, by the Lord 16 times in this chapter. And so his lordship is to dominate our lives, not just in the big areas, our personal relationship with God, so to speak, again, our sexuality, these things, but it's to dominate every single thing, big thing, little thing, that we do in, in life. And so here in chapter 19, the Lord tells us, a little bit about what his lordship will look like and some kind of, uh, you know, different kinds of, of ways, wide variety of ways that he describes here in the chapter. So God is saying, I want you to conduct yourself in all the various situations in life in the same way that I would conduct myself in those situations. And now chapter 19, he proceeds to tell us how he would handle these uh, very uh, different and diverse kind of circumstances. And that's very, very valuable instruction for us. You ever wonder, I wonder how God would handle this. Or how he, would, how he views the poor, how he views the stranger, how he would handle this kind of a thing. And, and chapter 19 uh, helps us with that. So the Lord spoke again, verse 1, to Moses saying, Speak to the congregation of the children of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy. For I, the Lord your God, am holy. Every one of you shall revere his mother and his father. And so God says, if you want to reflect my holiness, there will be a respect for parental authority. And so this respect for parental authority, that's a New Testament thing. An Old Testament thing, that's a New Testament thing. And, and what basically what it does is it protects the family unit from being taken over by uh, rebellious children and, and threatening the, the, the health of the family unit. Now, uh, we recognize in, there, there's no young person, and of course in our culture we, we talk about honoring your father and your mother. It, it carries through life. I mean, once you leave the house, it's kind of a different situation. Western culture, Eastern culture, these, these kinds of things. But no young person who's still living at home uh, can... Uh, represent God and, and, and be holy like Him and be disrespectful toward parents. You can't do that. Um, you think about Jesus. Uh, you, how would you like to be? And we read about Joseph a little bit, his um, kind of stepfather and, uh, in, in the New Testament. There's not a lot about him, but here you are kind of the stepdad to, to raise this boy and, and, uh, in, in, in the home, and he's God. <laughs> He's perfect. <laughs> I mean, at least I was a, a little more perfect than the kids for a while when I was raising my little fallen ones, you know. But, but what, what did Jesus do? Even though Joseph and Mary, sinners and, and all, what did he, he respected their authority. 
He respected their authority and, and he um, uh, obeyed them in what, what they called him, uh, told him to do. He also goes on and says, And you shall keep my Sabbath. I am the Lord your God. So he tells them that they're supposed to keep the Sabbath because God keeps the Sabbath. And under the Old Covenant, the Sabbath is fulfilled for us now. But this command uh, on the keeping of the Sabbath is going to be repeated several times uh, over and over, a couple times even in this chapter. And God, when God repeats himself in, a, in the scriptures, it isn't because he's, he's like trying to make the book longer than it needs to be. He always repeats himself for emphasis. And what the Sabbath was, was a time for God's people to pull back from the other six days that would kind of dominate their life, not more than God, but dominate their life in terms of material things, physical things, you know, working hard to make ends meet and all this kind of thing. And basically he's saying, when, what, what I want you to do is, like you're working hard, like all that kind of stuff, but you still need a, a time in your week that's completely set aside for me in order that the spiritual side of your life is being nurtured it's growing and that's setting the tone for everything else uh, in in your life so it was intended to keep the the spiritual side of their life from being overrun by the material things or the physical uh, side of life it was a reminder for us as Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and then all these other things will be added unto you we kind of think let's make sure we get all, all these other things added unto us and then if we got any time left over we'll seek the kingdom of God that's backwards and and the Sabbath kind of kept things right related to uh, to their uh, lives then he said in verse 4 he said do not turn to idols nor make for yourself molded gods so idolatry was forbidden they're heading into Canaan Canaan is just absolutely jammed with idols they worship just about anything that uh, they could fashion a, a, some kind of an image uh, after. And so the Lord says, no place for that in your life at all. Idolatry is the worship of any created thing, which means it is the worship of anything other than God, because in all of the universe there is God and then there is creation. There is a non-creation camp of one, and uh, Father, Son, and Spirit, and then there is creation. No one is to worship uh, anything or anyone other than uh, the Lord. And so our God isn't an idolater, <laughs> and we shouldn't be an idolater either. And, you shall off and if you offer a sacrifice of a peace offering to the Lord, you shall offer it of your own free will. And it shall be eaten on the same day you offer it, and on the, on the next day. And if any remains until the third day, it shall be burned in the fire. And if it is eaten at all on the third day, it is an abomination. It shall not be accepted. Therefore, everyone who eats it shall bear his iniquity, because he has profaned the hallowed offering of the Lord, and that person shall be cut off from his people. Now, we examined the peace offering way back in chapter 2 of the book of of Leviticus. And I think what the Lord is communicating here when he tells them to be faithful to offer the peace offering is that in the main offerings of the children of Israel, the sin offering, the trespass offering, the burnt offering, the grain offering, there would be a tendency to overlook the peace offering. Get into the land and say, well, you know, we're, we're hitting on four out of five cylinders here and it, it's kind of okay. And, and God is coming in and saying, don't overlook any of them. Even the peace offering, which would be the one they'd be 
most inclined to overlook. And uh, he's saying, keep all of the sacrifices, and uh, he's to be honored with complete obedience in the whole sacrificial system. Now in verse 9, he gets into the care for the poor. And uh, this is how he views the poor and how he uh, treats the poor and how we're to treat the poor too. Uh, Then when you reap the harvest of your land, we've just gone through the harvest, haven't we, in the valley, you shall not wholly reap the corners of your field, nor shall you gather the gleanings uh, of your harvest. You shall not glean your vineyard, in other words, take every single grape off of every single uh, vine, nor shall you gather every grape of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and the stranger I am the Lord your God and so when he says this is how I want you to handle your crops and the harvesting of your crops I want you to do it this way because this is the way I would do it if I owned your fields and by the way I do own your fields Um, I remember when I was a kid uh, way back then there weren't I forget how old I was when the first McDonald's appeared in Napa. So, you know, jobs for uh, elementary school-aged kids, for junior high-aged kids, even for senior high school-aged kids, uh, they were pretty scarce back then, and it was pretty tough to find anything, no fast food, not a lot of entry level like that. And uh, so what we used to do is we used to uh, pick prunes. Uh, each uh, August in order to earn money for our school clothes. And uh, when we would go through those Mr. Bruno's uh, prune fields, and I think they're all planted probably in walnuts or grapes now, but when we go through that, they'd go through that field three times. They'd shake every single plum that they could get off of those trees. I mean, there's nothing left for the poor uh, there. So I'm not saying that he was ungodly in doing that, but God would say, listen, you own these fields and all, you get one pass through it. So find out just exactly when you think shaking those trees would bring the most plums down because you've got to leave the rest of them in the tree. So that the poor, the disadvantaged, could then come in and they could glean what was left on it. So the farmer, he made his living and the poor uh, was, was provided for them, whether it was uh, the wheat or whether it was the grapes as he speaks uh, about here. It's an interesting way that God uh, has here, uh, I think very enlightening in terms of his provision for the poor. He has a concern for the poor, but he still wants them to work. He still wants them to work for their sustenance and and for for their food. So he makes provision for the poor, but he does it in a way that requires them uh, to uh, uh, some effort on their part in order to appropriate his his provision. So he doesn't call the landowners and say, listen, I want you to go through the first time, that's all yours. I want you to go through it a second and a third time and then bag up all that wheat and deliver it right to the doorstep of the poor. He doesn't do that. Uh, He has them come out into the field and, uh, and gather it uh, for themselves. And so he provides for them in a way that doesn't develop a, an unhealthy dependence of the poor upon, upon others and uh, doesn't uh, in, uh, encourage laziness in them. It required work and hard work produces something very, very uh, important inside of all of us. It produces a godly character. Very interesting to me, you take this piece of the law and you think, boy, you know, it's just this law and... and uh, 
what kind of impact could a law like this have and all. Interesting that God will use this part of the law uh, to bring the poor and the gleaning Ruth into contact with the wealthy landowner and farmer uh, Boaz which will then result in their marriage, producing the lineage of King David and then of Jesus himself. So he's up to a lot of things all at the same time as God that we, we serve. And so the poor were to be, there was to be a concern for the poor on the part of God's people, Old Testament, New Testament, because God has a concern for the poor. He said, you shall not steal nor deal falsely, nor uh, lie to one another. So uh, the Lord, He doesn't do any of these things, so we're not to do any of those things either. You shall not swear by my name falsely, nor shall you profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. So you can't say, you know, where you get kind of in a pinch and you say, I swear to God, I swear to the God of the Bible that I'll, I'll do this on Tuesday, you know, and you know you have no intention of doing it. God says, keep my name out of that stuff <laughs> don't be pulling my holy name into getting you out of a bind and uh, and so he says you know you get in that place where you want to add some uh, give some added weight to your lie you know to get out from under what you're the pinch that you're in and God says don't don't associate my name with with dishonesty or with hypocrisy you shall not cheat your neighbor nor rob him the wages of him who is hired shall not remain with you all night until morning and so here's the kind of thing where you're, you're hiring someone to work in your field or to work in your shop or something and uh, in those days they paid you at the end of the day it was a day-to-day -day thing because it was a day-to-day -day thing to eat so people were very used to just planning for the next day the next day the next day you work the next day in order to eat the next day and if a guy said yeah come on out I'll pay you you know sixty dollars for working in my field today and you get to the end of the day and then you, he knew he, he didn't have the sixty to give you and God says, don't be doing that to people. And uh, he says, I don't do that to people. I don't want you doing that kind of thing uh, to people either. Or you say, you know, some, you tell somebody, you know, I'll give you $60 for this thing or something. And then it come, push comes to shove to go ahead to your neighbor and to pay him the 60 What do you mean 60 I, Didn't we, It was 30 wasn't it? You know, and you're doing this whole kind. There are people like that. If you're, if you're someone like that, don't raise your hand or anything, because that's why we come to know the Lord, so we can do that kind of stuff. But there are people like that. They will just stab and take advantage of people. For I mean, they'll sell their souls for 15 bucks. And, uh, and, and, and the whole thing to them is they got on top on that thing, you know. They took advantage, and God says, I don't want any of that junk going on. Um, in among my people then he he goes on and he says very interesting you shall not curse the deaf and, and so you look at that and say I mean what harm can it do they they couldn't hear the thing or so and but he's going to tell you why nor put a stumbling block before the blind and then God says here's here's why you shall fear the Lord I, I am I am the Lord and so God here says the handicap never to be taken advantage of never to be taken advantage of 
because they've lost something or they don't have something that someone else has. God says, if you take advantage of those people and you do things to, to rip them off or take advantage uh, of them, you better be careful because I watch out for people like, uh, like this. And so it doesn't matter if the deaf doesn't hear it, it doesn't matter what happens with the blind or any other kind of uh, physical handicap that is there. God says, this is how I want them to be treated because that's how I view them. You shall not do injustice and judgment. You shall not be partial to the poor. Now that's interesting, isn't it? And nor honor the person of the mighty. So it's both extremes, in uh, both ends of the spectrum. In righteousness, you shall judge your neighbor. And so God just says, listen, when you're judging a case, what's right, what's wrong, and do that. Doesn't matter who's rich or who's poor, or this, this guy's got all this kind of money over here, and this person doesn't have any money, but this person over here is guilty of ripping this person off. That doesn't factor in. What's right, what's wrong, and apply uh, the law righteously to it. Because that's, that's exactly how, how God handles situations. You shall not go about as a talebearer among your people. So going around and, and uh, telling stories about uh, uh, other people and, and, uh, and, and uh, you know, that you've heard about this and then saying, I mean, one of the most destructive things that a person can do to another human being is to tell stories about them in an attempt to destroy their reputation or to ruin what people think uh, about them and for people to think wrongly of that person. And uh, God stands very, very strongly uh, against that. And, and in essence, he says, listen, I don't uh, tailbear, and I don't want my people uh, uh, tailbearing. Can you, can you just think about what God could tell people about you? <laughs> think about that. He could ruin every one of our reputations in an instant. I mean, he could make us a pariah anywhere and things. You think about what he keeps between him and us. And that's what he wants to be, his people to be like that in the handling of those things. Then he says, nor shall you take a stand against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. So going on the witness stand in a, a, court, a court of law and hear the guy and uh, um, you give false testimony. It's a capital crime. It looks like his life is in jeopardy for it. And God says, I don't want you to bear false witness. I never bear false witness. Don't want you to do it either. You shall not hate your brother in your heart. Not even to have it inside the heart. You shall surely rebuke your neighbor and not bear sin because of him. So no hidden hatred against uh, a brother. So, hi, how you doing? Boy, I hate this guy's guts. <laughs> God doesn't do that. Does God ever come to you and, and give you a big smile and all and then just kind of hate you? Or, I mean, when, God, when we deal with God, unveiled face beholding his glory... And our relationship with him, he's very straightforward with us, isn't he? I mean, if if I'm if I'm in trouble and need to be put in a corner with a little hat on my head, uh, he tells me that. <laughs> if I need to be encouraged, he tells me that. God is very straightforward. You don't have to wonder what's he thinking or what's in his heart toward me or any of that. And God says, I don't want that to be the way that you guys uh, deal with one another. And so he and basically he tells us if we have a problem with somebody. 
Go to the person. Don't sit and just grind under the thing and fume over it and hate the person for weeks and for years and all. The solution to that is go to the person and talk with them about it and then see if it doesn't get solved on that level. Jesus spoke about that in Matthew chapter 18. Somebody sinned against us, we go to them and say, listen, you sinned against me there and uh, I, want to make, I want to make sure this gets resolved between us. And then, it, and then very often it does get resolved and it doesn't have to escalate uh, beyond that. And I think the Lord, when He looks at the body of Christ and He sees, I mean, how much conflict among His people that would just be solved with people being straightforward with each other and being uh, humble and listen and willing to listen to God. And, and, uh, uh, and it probably hurts His heart, doubtless, that that much goes on. He says, just go, go and, and talk uh, to people. You shall keep my statutes, verse 19. You shall not let your livestock breed with another kind. So no mixing of, of livestock. You shall not sow your field with mixed seed, and uh, you, nor shall uh, a garment of mixed linen and wool come upon you. So all these new fabrics that we wear, you know, with... Um, uh, the polyesters and the mixing, the wool and the cotton and the blends and all of that couldn't do that under the Old Old Testament law. Now, it isn't that that was sinful and even mixing of, of livestock and this kind of, of thing. It wasn't that that was going to produce some kind of terrible thing in, in the human condition at all. It was just... These were three additional ways that as the people would stay faithful to this. this our livestock is what it is. And uh, we're not sowing our field with, with different seed. We're not mixing wool and linen. And people might say, well, why in the world do you do that? And then a person would say, well, I do that because, and I keep it separated, these things separated and holy because my God is, sep is separated, my God is holy, and it was a way just to communicate that kind of, of, of thing. So not everything was like a, a sin uh, or some, you know, obvious consequence of, of disobeying something. Some of it was just a way of communicating uh, that, we were a, that they were a different people. Whoever lies carnally with a woman who has been betrothed to a man as a concubine and, uh, and betrothed but not given yet in, in that physical relationship and, has, uh, and who has not at all been redeemed nor given her freedom for, there it, uh, for this there shall be scourging but they shall not be put to death because she was not free. So here you have sexual immorality. And uh, as a consequence of this, uh, both of them, the guilty parties, would be scourged, but they were uh, not to be killed for adultery, uh, which we'll see in, in, in the next chapter. And he shall bring, the guilty man shall bring his trespass offering to the Lord, to the door of the tabernacle of meeting, a ram as a trespass offering. The priest shall make atonement for him with the ram of the trespass offering before the Lord for his sin which he has committed and the sin in which he has committed shall be forgiven him. And so uh, the penalty for lying with another man's uh, concubine. So he's, he's had sexual relationships, uh, relationship with a, a slave girl betrothed to another man, both scourged. The offering was to be offered as, a, as an evidence of his, his repentance and, uh, and that was the extent of the penalty. And when you come into the land, and have planted all kinds of trees for food. And boy, I'll tell you, Israel, you can plant just about anything there, and it's going to grow. What a climate. Uh, then you shall count their uh, fruit... Uh, 
as uncircumcised. Uh, three years from the time you plant the plants, it shall be uncircumcised to you. It shall not be eaten. So the plant, it, it just grows. Whatever fruit it gets just drops to the ground. Nobody touches it. Nobody eats it. Nobody gives it to God. It just does its own thing. On the fourth year, all its fruit shall be holy, a praise to the Lord. They would take all of the fruit and offer it to God because by the fourth year, the trees are producing something that resembles a um, an offering that is you know worthy of God and then in the fifth year God said you may eat its fruit now that's that's all yours uh, now that it may yield to you its increase I am the Lord your God you shall not eat anything with blood nor shall you practice divination or soothsaying so no blood as we've seen many many times uh, not to engage in any kind of witchcraft or uh, the occult um, uh, fortune telling and horoscopes and and all of these kinds of things for trying to know the will of God so no divination no soothsaying um, we don't need to go to the demonic realm <laughs> to know uh, about the future or seeking the you know the demonic realm for wisdom in our life we get to go to the very top as God's people we get to go to him so what a waste of time to go to anyone less than him so it was forbidden God doesn't consult the demonic realm and we're not to consult it either uh, you shall not shave around the sides of your head and uh, so boy I'll tell you that, that marine cut I don't know what on that huh? nor shall you disfigure the edges of your beard now what he's talking about here is they're going into Canaan and in, in Canaan one of the things that the, the Canaanites would do it, when they would mourn the death of someone is that they would shave the, the um, sides of their heads and then they would disfigure the edges of, of their beard and so it was a part of a, a mourning process that they would do also their, the Canaanite priests would do kind of fancy things with their hair and all and, and beard. Now the Jews, if you go to Israel today or if, or if you're in a you know, metropolitan area in the United States of America where there are a lot of Orthodox Jews, you see them in an airport or something and typically wearing a hat and a black suit and overcoat and those things and you'll see the long curls right by their temple uh, hanging down uh, they they allow that section of their hair to grow out in obedience to this command from the law where it says not to shave the sides of your your head that's why when you see orthodox jews and uh, you'll never see they got like a nicely trimmed van dyke or something like that you know or some uh, you know style beard or something it's always grown out it's always pretty rough and all kind of a mountain man kind of beard and all and it's in its obe in obedience to this uh, this command that's how they've interpreted uh, and applied it to their lives you shall uh, not make any cuttings in your flesh for the dead uh, in in other words uh, and that's what the Canaanites would do when someone would die as an expression of their grief over the death. They would cut themselves just to show their grief. Um, it's, uh, I think the closest thing that we see to that today is sometimes on an annual basis, I forget what uh, kind of holiday that the Muslims um, uh, celebrate at some anniversary of some event in their religion and you see the guys are all got the machetes and they're cutting 
and the tops of their heads and all over, and they're just bleeding all over the place. And that's just a Canaanite pagan. Uh, bloodletting is an expression of, of, of grief, and it was, it's forbidden uh, of God's people. Uh, he also forbids uh, nor tattoo any marks on you, which again was, was very, very common in all of that. You have no idea how badly I want to tell people not to get a tattoo. But anyway, I'll... Um, it was very, very funny to me when I was um, at, the, uh, at the Harvest Crusade and Greg Laurie touched on tattoos. I mean, I don't need to tell you, tattoos have been pretty big for a while. And, uh, but Greg, he, he said the thing that I always think about tattoos. And, he's, and, and it, I mean, it's pretty risky to bring that up in that group, you know, of things today. And he said, you do know they're permanent. unless you've got a million dollars to get them burned off and people of course are getting them uh, burned off and everything and and sometimes it's an older person that'll say that a little bit on the tattoos Uh, I'd certainly if I was a Christian I'd want to be led of the Lord uh, on on getting a tattoo so I I go to a gym here and try and get my heart beating a little bit uh, because of what I do is fairly sedentary on things and uh, it's interesting to see some of the uh, guys and gals come in where they've got these tattoos like razor blade, razor wire tattoo around their arms and um, they've probably put on about 120 pounds since when they had that originally and I'm sure when that arm was buff that really looked like something but now it looks a little middle aged you know on, on stuff and so uh, anyway This is not a prohibition against tattoos. Uh, Be led of the Lord, and you also have Greg Laurie, in my opinion, uh, related to that beyond uh, any of it. Do not prostitute, and I I hope you have a tattoo. You know I'm uh, saying this affectionately, firmly, but affectionately. And I'm, I'm, how I want to, I want to. What I'm basically what I'm saying is I love you, and. but you're as wrong as can be on this issue. You just shouldn't, there's just no way on that. And you'll regret it. And you'll be thank- and those of you who don't get tattoos, you'll thank me for tonight. This will be a life-changing moment in your, uh, your Christian life. So, of course, I'm, I'm kidding. Kind of, because I'm really not. Um, just so, all right. So, do not prostitute your daughter uh, to cause her to be a harlot. And we think, wow, I mean, how obvious is that? But um, we're talking about cultic prostitution in those days, where in the, among the Canaanites they considered an honor for, someone to, for the priest to approach your daughter and make them a temple prostitute. And so it's a real weird thing that they're going into Canaan, lest the land fall into harlotry and the land become full of wickedness. You shall keep my Sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary. I am the Lord. So again, he brings up the Sabbath because of its importance. Give no regard to mediums and familiar spirits. Don't tap into the demonic realm and uh, do not seek after them to be defiled by them. I am the Lord uh, your God. So no seances and crystal balls and any, anything that has to do with the occult. Uh, uh, you shall rise before the the gray-headed, an older person, 
and, uh, and honor the presence of an old man. So this, this is a case against dyeing your hair as men uh, because at a very time where you should be gray-headed and, uh, and then people would stand up and honor your presence, they don't know whether you're 60 or 35. But these are the problems that we have today in our culture. I'm stepping on a lot of toes tonight, aren't I, on, on things. And uh, of course I say it affectionately, but um, I, I, uh, you'll notice uh, that I have gray hair. And uh, so, because I like people to stand and uh, let me have the seat on the bus. So, but but the, the whole idea is he's saying, I want you to have a respect for the older generation. And because God is saying, I have a respect for the older generation. And the thing about all of this is that this has to be taught to every generation. And you've got a nation that is, gonna, is in really big trouble any nation that does not teach its youth uh, to have a respect for those who are older and actually nurtures disrespect in their life it's contrary uh, to God and so when you're driving behind someone sometimes they'll look and they will say where who are they giving licenses to today you know and then you look through and you see that gray hair see if they dyed their hair I wouldn't even know I'd be angry at them the whole time but you see that gray right there and you go all right they're unsure of themselves they can't see how quick everything's coming we just relax I want them on the road too and I want someone to be nice to me when I'm not driving like a reckless maniac like I am right now on, on things just kidding on that so the respect for the older person and God says when you show respect to them he said I take that as a show of respect toward me as, as respect and reverence fear uh, for for me and the stranger uh, if a stranger dwells with you in the land uh, in your land you shall not mistreat him the stranger who dwells among you shall be with you as one born among you and you shall love him as yourself for you were strangers in the land of Egypt I am the Lord your God and I don't know how many of you have been to a foreign land where you have traveled maybe on a mission trip or maybe just traveled as a tourist or something when you come into another group of people's country and you're kind of the only person of your kind in that environment there's a small group of you it's a very vulnerable feeling you realize these people could rip me off every way that you could be ripped off they could take advantage of me in every way I'm outside of my country and all and so a stranger is vulnerable. And in the ancient world, it would be like people would be looking and say, all right, I'm going to separate them from their money so fast they won't know what hit them or will mug them or will do whatever kind of a thing. And God says, no, you, they're, they're vulnerable. And when you were in Egypt and a stranger, I never treated you wrong. So I don't want you treating strangers wrong when they come into your land and so that's how you can be like me related to strangers and and that's always a nice thing sometimes you'll uh, when you're in another country or something and you're trying to navigate you got the map out and I mean that totally tells everybody that you know you're a stranger and someone comes up and says can I help you uh, in, in any way and uh, you think wow praise the Lord for you know someone like that and if it happens in France it's a miracle and uh, so but it, it, it has happened you know you say parlez-vous anglais <laughs> but um, 
but not always and I've, I've been able to get help on that because you say a little bit of their language on things and then you just humble yourself but Israel today to go, to go you go to Israel the hospitality you know real obedience to this and I know there's money made off of that and all but there's beautiful obedience to all this and for us to look out for people who are obvious strangers in our land and, and to do that as a witness uh, to, to the Lord you shall do no injustice in judgment and measurements or of length, uh, weight, or volume. You shall have honest scales, honest weights, and honest ephah, and an honest hen. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. And so what they used to do if you were a crooked merchant is, of course, everything was done on scales. So you'd put, you know, a five-pound weight here and then put the eggs or the meat or whatever, the cheese on, on this side and all, what they would do is they'd have that one set of weights for when they were buying and another set of weights for when they were selling. And they're just ripping people off. It was very common in the ancient world. And God says, don't be doing that. Run your business straight up because that's how I would run a business. And therefore you shall observe all uh, my statutes and all my judgments and perform them. I am the Lord. We will tackle chapter uh, 21 because it deals with just one kind of issue. And we'll move quickly through it. In chapter, or chapter 20 rather. In chapter uh, 20. The Lord lays out uh, all of the penalty. He lays out penalties concerning specific sins, and uh, most of which have been addressed in uh, chapters 18 and 19. And so he lays out now, here's the penalty for these things that he has, has prohibited. And some of these, you read these penalties, uh, as we would read them today, uh, seemingly very, very harsh. But God lays out these very uh, harsh penalties and it is it because it was essential to prevent sin from infecting the community life of, of God's people. He didn't want any of these sins to have any influence among his people, period. And he, knew, and he knows how destructive they are. So he said, anybody takes and defies my word on these issues and goes against these things and they elevate their own personal desires for sin and their love for evil and all, that they're willing to jeopardize the, the purity and the holiness of a whole nation. He said, I want you to remove that influence. And he wasn't afraid uh, to do that. Additionally, very important to understand, in terms of the strength, most of these, it, it is a death penalty for these sins. Additionally, we need to understand about uh, the children of Israel in the Old Testament. God had a very important plan attached to their life, and that is He's going to bring the Savior of the world in through them, into the world. So if they get drawn away into all of the religion of the Canaanites, they get absorbed by the world and all, then God doesn't have a holy people to bring the Messiah, to bring Jesus into the world through. So you've got things where somebody comes in and says, you know, I don't care about God. I don't care about God's plan. I don't care about the Messiah. I don't care about the Jews. All I care about is just doing what my body wants to do. And God says, no, we're not going to put up with that. And, uh, and I'll remove that influence from, from among uh, my, my people. And so they were, they were to be uh, taken out uh, so that the, the children of Israel wouldn't, wouldn't uh, God's plan wouldn't be destroyed through them. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Again you shall say to the children of Israel, Whoever of the children of Israel... Uh, 
or of the strangers who dwell in Israel, who gives any of his descendants to Molech, he shall surely be put to death. And as we remember, Molech was a god of the Ammonites, and uh, they would heat this statue up, a terracotta or metal, and it would be placed in a fire, and they would throw their babies into the arms of Molech. So it was, it was a child sacrifice. God says, anybody does that kind of thing among my people, capital sin, capital crime, they're to be put to death. The pe- and the Here's the means of death. The people of the land shall stone him with stones. And I will set my face against that man and I will cut him off from his people because he has given some of his descendants to Molech to, prof- uh, to defile my sanctuary and profane my holy name. God says, you profane my holy name by doing this because if you do this, offer your babies and sacrifice them you know, in, in this way, you're communicating to the whole world that this is what your God is like. See, that's the responsibility of holiness. There's the privilege of living a holy life but the responsibility is is that people are coming to conclusions about our God as they watch our lives and, he's, and God knows that he never loses sight of that and so he's saying you, you do this kind of thing and then people are going to come to the natural conclusion that that's what your God is about and I am not about this so, so he's got a zero tolerance on this, on this thing. And if the people of the land should in any way hide their eyes from the man who has done this, I didn't see anything. Did you see anything? You know what Uncle Vinny did? I don't know what. You know, and, they, and they don't want to step up and do what God told them to do in, in stoning such a person. God says, if they hide their eyes from the man when he gives his descendants to Molech and they, uh, and they do not kill him, God says, then I'll take it into my own hands. I will set my face against that man and against his family and I will cut off him off from his people and all who prostitute themselves with, a, commit, uh, with him to commit harlotry with Molech. And the, pe- and the person who turns to mediums and familiar spirits to prostitute himself with him, I will set my face against that person and cut him off from among his people. Again, uh, a capital sin here. Consecrate yourself, therefore, and be holy, for I am the Lord your God. And you shall keep my statutes and perform them. I am the Lord who sanctifies you, for everyone who curses his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. That was a capital crime. And he, uh, he has cursed his father or his mother. His blood shall be upon him. Now, remember in the, in the giving of this law that this law, as is, is Moses gave it to the people, this would be the context of the whole nation. I mean, you would have virtually no rebellion against parental authority among that nation. Pe- children were raised in that. That was, that was the standard for the nation. So for a kiddo to come up and then start cursing their parents and living in rebellion to their parents, I mean, they would be doing, they would be uh, sinning against a standard that they were very familiar with and everybody else was familiar with. You, can, you couldn't take this and enact it in the United States of America. So sometimes people look, it's a different covenant, it's the Old Testament, it's a theocracy. The United States is not a theocracy. So we're looking at principles for our lives. You enact that today and you've wiped out three generations of Americans. <laughs> and I'm not saying that this, the disrespect that is nurtured and encouraged 
by the entertainment industry and other, you know, vehicles, uh, uh, the disrespect for parents that's encouraged among children is, is all right, but it is apples and oranges here a little bit. And, uh, and so the, this thing would have been, it wouldn't be a thing where someone would say, wow, they were raised in this terrible rebellion, exposed to all these terrible things as a kid, and then one day they did this and someone took them out and stoned them to death. That's not the context that it would have, would have happened uh, um, in. So, uh, the man who commits adultery with another man's wife, he who commits adultery with his neighbor's wife, the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. Now that's fascinating also because you remember in John's Gospel when Jesus was teaching in the temple, we're told, and these religious leaders brought a woman, they're dragging her along, and they cast her into the midst, they interrupt Jesus' teaching and say, here's this woman, we caught her in the very act of adultery, the law of Moses says she's to be stoned to death, what do you say? And they're, they're trying to trick Jesus and, and, and trap him here. The fact that they only brought the woman. When you catch people in the very act, you got the man and the woman. So, but they only bring the woman. And the reason they only bring the woman is they are not concerned at all about the law of Moses. If they were concerned about the law of Moses, they'd have brought both the man and the woman. They're just interested in trapping Jesus. And, uh, and so it gives us a little insight into that incident. The man who lies with his father's wife, uh, his stepmother, uh, has uh, uncovered his father's nakedness. Both of them shall surely be put to death. Their blood shall be upon them. If a man lies with his daughter-in-law, both of them shall surely be put to death. They they have committed perversion. Their blood shall be upon them. If a man lies with a male as he lies with a woman, so homosexual sex, not talking about homosexual tendencies, talking about homosexual sex, both of them have committed an abomination. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood shall be upon them. If a man marries a woman and her mother, it is a wickedness. They shall be burned with fire, and uh, both he and they, that there may be no wickedness among you. And the idea is that they would be first stoned to death, and then their bodies would be burned so that there would be no, um, even the slightest, uh, reminder or remainder of, of their sin uh, among the nations. So the ashes would just be gone. If a man mates with an animal, he shall surely be put to death, you, and you shall kill the animal. If a woman approaches uh, an animal and mates with it, you shall kill the woman and the animal. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood is upon them. To be forewarned is to be forearmed. Everyone would be responsible for their actions. If a man takes his sister... And uh, uh, this would be a stepsister, his father's daughter, or his mother's daughter, and sees her nakedness. It's not that you know they were both eight years old, and uh, you know they saw someone coming out of the bathroom or something. It, it's talking about uh, sexual intercourse here, and she sees his nakedness. It's a wicked thing, and they shall be cut off in the sight of their people. And he has uncovered his sister's nakedness. He shall bear his guilt. Now there's some uh, debate whether this this punishment refers to a death sentence or it, it refers to banishment. Uh, from uh, being able to be among the covenant people. They'd be separated from the children of Israel because it talks of them being cut off in the sight of their people. If a a man lies with a woman during her sickness, 
during her, her period and uncovers her nakedness. He has exposed her flow and she has uncovered the flow of her blood. Both of them shall be cut off from their people. Again, we don't know whether it's, it refers to a death sentence or a banishment and excommunication from among the children of Israel. The issue is not her period. The issue is not that thing. The issue is, is that God has forbidden this and the man says, I don't care what God has said. I don't care what he forbids or what he commands. I'm going to do what I want. That's the leaven. That's the thing that God wanted to have cut out. That thing of, I'm going to elevate my desires, my will, whatever I want to do, above God's commandments. And the problem when a person does that is they come in and say, well, it, I'll, I'll justify it here in what looks like a relatively smaller sin. The problem is, is you justify it there because of the fallen nature of man. Then the next thing is you look and say, what's the next uh, law where uh, God's command doesn't make sense to our flesh and then the fight begins on that whether God is right or wrong there and it moves on and, and pretty soon uh, you've got an overthrow of God's law among among his people you shall not uncover the nakedness of your mother's sister uh, nor your father's sister your aunt for that would uncover uh, his near of kin they shall bear their guilt if a man lies with his uncle's wife he uh, has uncovered his uncle's nakedness they shall bear their sin they shall die childless and God uh, that God takes that upon himself to make sure that happens we look at it and say well that doesn't seem like in light of everything else a, a, a terribly great kind of, of a, a punishment that they would die childless it was a huge thing in that culture for your name to die in the history of the nation it would not move forward and so this was would be considered by them to be a very grave uh, consequence for their sin uh, if a man takes his brother's wife it is an unclean thing. He has uncovered his brother's nakedness. They shall be childless. And you shall therefore keep all my statutes, all my judgments, and perform them, that the land where I am bringing you to uh, dwell may not vomit you out. And you shall not walk in the statutes of the nation which I am casting out before you, for they commit all these things and therefore abhor them. So you look and say, why does God have to say these things? It's so graphic and so, and sometimes so obvious and all. It wasn't. They're heading into a land where all this stuff was going on. But I have said to you, you shall inherit their land, and I will give it to you to possess a land flowing with milk and honey. I'm the Lord your God who has separated you from the peoples. God called them to be separated. He said, what I'm taking you into if you stay holy is going to be fabulous. There's the blessings of holiness you shall therefore distinguish between clean animals unclean between unclean birds and clean and you shall not make yourselves abominable by beast or by bird nor by any kind of living thing that creeps on the ground which I have separated from you is unclean and then here it is again and you shall be holy to me for that's a because word a reason word I the Lord am holy 
and have separated you from the peoples that you should be mine. And so they were to, were to be holy because we belong to him. And then a man or a woman who is a medium or who has, a familiar, uh, has familiar spirits, so they're connected, uh, deliberately connected with the occult, shall surely be put to death. They shall stone them with stones. Their blood shall be upon them. And so we'll stop there this evening and, and introduce uh, communion.